Footing. This is Dove Tuzman doing this show remotely, still in France for the Yom Tovs. May your inscription in the Book of Life be good. This is a special Yom Kippur show. Oh, stay tuned. Don't hang up. I know Yom Kippur is heavy. As a child, it was the most difficult by far of the holidays of the year. I've told this, I've told this story before on the air of my grandfather and blessed memory was a Holocaust survivor at synagogue on Yom Kippur, gripping his grandchildren's hands. I was the eldest grandson while he, while he was asking for forgiveness from Hashem, also under his breath, cursing. Yes, you heard it right, cursing Hashem for what he had lived through in the Holocaust. It was a very complex, we've talked about that in another show. I think Rabbi Jacobson actually helped walk through that for me, who's, a, I guess, a, a spiritual therapist. Well, he's back on the show tonight because we're going to be talking about one of the core concepts of this week, sin. Yes, sin. Of course, absolution being the antidote. But we can't really understand what it is to be forgiven or who even we're asking for forgiveness from without actually diving in to the concept of sin. Was my grandfather sinning when he was cursing God in shul on Yom Kippur? We reflect on Yom Kippur of all the sins of the year before, but do we reflect on the sins against other men, against other human beings, or do we, are we just reflect, reflecting on the sins, the transgressions against Hashem. Complex stuff. Okay. We're going to talk about the concept of sin through the unique lens of Judaism, because it is unique, and we'll try to reflect a little bit on what it looks like through the more predominant, at least in terms of numbers, sociologically predominant Abrahamic faiths in North America, in Europe. So, let's get into it. I want to introduce, I tease at the fact that Rabbi Jacobson's on, so let's start. You all know him, Rabbi Simon Jacobson. He is a world-renowned scholar, a pioneering speaker, an educator. He's a mentor to thousands. He's the author of the global best-selling book, Toward a Meaningful Life, which is a publication that's, that's sold around half a million copies to date and has been translated into languages across the globe. Rabbi Jacobson is one of the greatest scholars and sought-after speakers in the Jewish world today. He's lectured to diverse audiences on six continents, across many, if not all, of the 50 states, on psycho-spiritual issues as they apply to Jewish thought, and always looking at contemporary life, always being practical. Rabbi Simon Jacobson's voice is rooted in the timeless teachings of Torah, of course, yet at the same time, it's profoundly timely, relevant, unique, and cutting-edge. Rabbi Jacobson has been interviewed by over 300 radio and TV shows, including CNN with Larry King, The Charlie Rose Show, The CBS News Show, etc. Rabbi Simon Jacobson, welcome back to Equal Footing. Thank you for taking time off to have a question with the Yom Tovs. My pleasure to be here with you, Dove. It's an honor, and I wish you and all your listeners a very blessed year. Thank you. To you as well. I'm excited, Rabbi Jacobson, to have a new pairing with you here on the A brand new guest who I hope will be on with us in the future, Amy Schwartz. Amy Schwartz is, is Moment Magazine's opinion and book editor. You may know her also as the editor of the magazine's popular Ask the Rabbis section. And as we were talking about over the last couple of days with Amy and pre-gaming for tonight, we definitely know Ask the Rabbis. Such a wonderful tool, brings together voices from across different movements and areas of the Jewish world, often brought up on the show by listeners and comes up in our research. you got to check it out. Go to Moments Magazine, look up the Ask the Rabbis section. Amy Schwartz is the editor, also the 2020 book, 
Can Robots Be Jewish? And Other Pressing Questions on Modern Life comes out of the Ask the Rabbi section of Moment Magazine. It's available for sale, and i got to get in this website so you can check it out, momentmag.com. That's momentmag.com. And you can check out the Ask the Rabbi's uh, program there. Before joining Moment Magazine in 2011, Amy spent 17 years as an editorial writer and weekly op-ed columnist at the Washington Post, where she specialized in education, science, and the culture wars. She was nominated for the Pulitzer Prize in Commentary in 1988. Bravo. She has also worked at Harper's, the New Republic, and the Wilson Quarterly. Amy is president of the non-denominational Jewish Study Center in Washington, D.C., and she speaks and runs workshops on Jewish commentary, poetry, and psalms. And I didn't tell you this on the pregame, but my mother, who is a, a poet, a Jewish poet, is a fan of, uh, of your work and of Moment Magazine. Amy, it's an honor to have you on the show tonight. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I didn't know that. I'm, I'm, I'm delighted to hear that about your mother, and I'm uh, happy to uh, greet this, this audience. Um, uh, looking forward to a great conversation. A and great conversation on sin, only on, on, only on Jewish radio. <laughs> okay. Rabbi Jacobson, get us started. What is, what is sin? In, in our in our faith is it is it just any even tiny violation of any of the sixteen six hundred thirteen mitzvot is there a hierarchy to it uh, we get so much cultural noise around sin outside of the Jewish world uh, focus us in uh, absolutely <clears throat> I actually would say that the word sin as it's used in uh, modern lingo and culture has nothing to do with Judaism. Let me begin with that. Um, I'm not going to go into all its etymological and other roots, the concept of original sin in Christianity. Um, in Judaism, the word for sin is in Hebrew, avera, which really actually means displacement. And I would use the word dissonance. It's when somebody feels disconnected and uh, not aligned with their purpose in life. So, for instance, let's just use someone hurts another person, a very basic way. We would call that, I don't, again, I don't like the word sin, but you create a disconnect, a disconnect from yourself because you've not lived up to your purpose, and a disconnect from that other person that instead of loving them and being kind to them, you've been cruel, you've been insensitive. So sin is really... Another word I would use, I would use much more displacement, a psychological form of dissonance, and the opposite of sin is, in Hebrew, the word mitzvah. Mitzvah means a connection. It means a bond. It doesn't just mean a commandment. So language, as you can see from this, though, can also be very distorting because words become stereotyped and express all types of myths. So if you think of connection and disconnection, or attachment and detachment, you have a much better picture of what that sin is. Now, talk about hierarchy. Yes, the Torah then, and I'll use the word for Torah like a blueprint for life, is telling us here are the behaviors that connect you to yourself, to your soul, to others, to God, and here are the behaviors that disconnect you and create that dissonance. And uh, that's the essential concept. And, of course, the other side of it is that even when one does experience dissonance and detachment, they can return, which is called shuva. That's why it's called return. They're returning back to their essential nature, which was one of connection, attachment, and um, and uh, alignment and, and the harmony. I love the idea, Rabbi, of... Uh, it, it's a it's a bit new age. It really appeals to me. Of it is as simple as kind of connection to God and disconnection to God. And I understand you're bringing us to the meta level out of the box. But to play a little bit of the devil's advocate, it, it, there there seems to be a harsher, more rigid view. And and Amy, maybe you could reflect on this to some of the the rabbis that have written on this topic through at uh, at at moment. You have a simple definition of, of sin being a violation of any of the 613 commandments that we, that we live by as Jews. And of course, the, 
we have peppered throughout our tradition lots of punishment. We have punishment everywhere from uh, death in this life to things that are supposed to happen to us in uh, in the afterlife to being uh, uh, you know being lashed, being whipped. Uh, lots of other forms of punishment, of course, that vary based on the intentionality of the sin and and so forth and so on. Is there a less attractive um, kind of narrative here about our relationship with sin as Jews? That's up to me. That question. That's to you. Yeah, give it a shot. Ah, so so um, I, that's very interesting. Um, I think what you're talking about is a kind of a folk understanding of Judaism. You know, there are lots of beliefs scattered throughout Jewish practice, things your, you know, your bubby told you that aren't exactly, um, aren't exactly halachic, you know, or aren't exactly, you know, if you ask, I mean, I edit this teacher, ask the rabbis. We ask the rabbis a difficult question we're not typically going to get a lot of references to folk beliefs that don't carry through from the tradition. But, you know, I do, I had a, my, my own rabbi many years ago used to say, and I don't know if I'll get this exactly right. This is a, a sort of a sardonic expression in Yiddish. She says, which sort of means if the Christians do it, the Jews will do it too. Um, so I think, you know, Jewish culture was living in all these different countries, has absorbed kind of emotional tinges of a lot of different types of um, other sins. You you do see, um, you know, you, you there's there's the there are there are folk stories, for instance, the stories told about, you know, the mourner's Kaddish where uh, the the spirit of the father is kind of lingering in some kind of purgatory, and if the son doesn't say Kaddish, the soul can't ascend to heaven. These are not really, you know, and that this is because the father has you know, sins to to work off. These are not really, I don't think, normative Judaism, but but they are there. But I just I just want to take a step back and be a devil's advocate to your devil's advocate, and say that I remember even as a small child. Saying, I remember saying to my mother, she used to make fun of me later for having said this. I said, I like being Jewish because you were innocent until you were proven guilty. Um, and so I had my frames of reference mixed up a little bit. But I think even as a small child, I was on to something, which was this, this idea that um, there's nothing fundamentally evil about the human being. The human being is born... Without you know, is not is not a is sinful or problematic creation. And I mean, I'll, I'll, since I since I I like to collect quotes from different rabbis, I was sort of looking around um, after we pre-gamed, and I was looking at Twitter as one does, and the a rabbi. Um, probably not someone looked to by a lot of this audience, but Rabbi Sandra Lawson, um, who's a, um, I think she, I don't think she's a reform rabbi. I think she's a reconstructionist rabbi, a person of color. She tweeted today, as we head into Yom Kippur, remember that we are perfectly created, imperfect beings, which I thought was actually not a bad way of uh, capturing the 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 the, the tension there. Um, People, people are, people may, I think in the modern world, we think of punishment as something that, um, sort of as the rabbi said, is kind of punishment for sin, you know, failure to atone, is kind of something self-executing on ourselves, you know, with the, the, when, when, uh, when you read about the arguments for forgiving People, uh, we did a we did a, an ask the rabbis. One of the questions we asked them a couple of years ago was, "Are there things that can't be forgiven?" Yeah, so and we're definitely going to get to that a little bit later we'll in the show. The concept of which which sins can be forgiven, and also when against whom. Uh, we're going to go to our first break in a moment. I, I want to put a pin in this concept of the 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 source of sin, and and maybe Rabbi after the break could talk to us a little bit about this concept that we often hear about about the. The, the, the heavenly soul or the higher, uh, soul and the animal soul. And, you know, we jokingly called tonight's show in one of our media blasts the, um, the id and the yid 
uh, the concept like the you know the id and psychoanalysis, the kind of the animal instinct and where these uh, these primal instincts come from, and you know is 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 sin always rooted in in that animal instinct, or is there maybe a worse form of sin that's very premeditated and somehow connects to a higher soul? Complicated stuff. I want you to walk us through a little bit of that. We take our after we go to our first break. Please participate. Talk to us about your relationship with sin your relationship with that solution, questions you have about the way we should as Jews, I don't like that normative stuff, should, the way we relate as Jews to, to sin, to transgression, and, and how we become absolved, how we become forgiven, how we forgive. The number to call, if you want to participate live, we are on, on live radio, 718-303-9090. That's 718 303 9090. Please be patient if you call in. Stay on hold, please, because all three of us are out of studio. Uh, I'm calling from France, and we have, uh, and, and Amy and, and Rabbi Jacobson are in the United States, and our, our very dedicated radio engineer sometimes needs time to be able to look at the board and do other things. You can also text a co- question or comment to 917 428 4062. That's 917 917- Four two eight four zero six two. Do not call that number, please. That's for texting or WhatsApping in uh, questions or comments to Amy Schwartz, editor of the Ask the Rabbi section, also opinion and book editor at Moment Magazine, and Rabbi Simon Jacobson, great scholar and author, author of Toward a Meaningful Life. We will be right back. Music is fun to pick for, uh, for tonight's show. Uh, Equal Footing is, as always, brought to you in part by Mechanical Art Capital. Get the app on your Android or iOS device, Mechanical Art Capital, three words. You can get financing on your timepieces, high-end watches. If you're a dealer or a collector, you can get overnight financing, maximum two days, Get cash for your inventory or collection. It's easy. Again, download the app. Just put your photographs in. You get a bid right away, and you get the money the next day. Mechanical Art Capital. If you're a watch dealer or watch collector, you can also call and get information on Mechanical Art Capital's repo programs. It's a purchase and buyback program. No interest charge. No late fees. It's very easy. The number is 833 833- Two zero nine zero nine seven two. That's eight three three two zero nine zero nine seven two for Mechanical Art Capital's watch financing program. You can also find them online at mechanicalartcapital.com. I've been You're back on Equal Footing. I'm Joe Tuzman. We're here with Rabbi Simon Jacobson and Amy Schwartz. We're talking about sin, transgressions, bad stuff, the Yetzirah, the animal soul. Okay, Rabbi Jacobson, what is the animal soul, and is that the place that all sin originates from? Well, I need to go back to my original point, and I will... Um, be quite adamant about it because I think there's a major distortion out there. And uh, as I mentioned before, sin is displacement, dissonance. Um, uh, remember the simple, uh, simple axiom. If you believe in God and God created the human being and the human being is flawed, we all know that, which means we're all capable of making mistakes, deliberate or inadvertent, uh, it doesn't make any sense that God would create an imperfect human being and then look to uh, get even by punishing. So you mentioned the word punishment before. Just as I uh, translated sin differently, I would say reward and punishment is cause and effect. 
when you put your hand in fire, the fire is not punishing you. It's a, a direct effect of your behavior. So in that context, what we're talking about is having a relationship with, uh, with God. So to answer your question, that relationship consists of a relationship with your soul. As the Bible puts it very clearly, the Torah right in the beginning, the human being is God took dust from the earth and imbued it with a soul. So let's talk about the soul. The soul is a divine image. That's what it says in the Bible. We were created in the divine image. I'll use a word called transcendence. We have a transcendent soul that seeks something more than material desire, more than selfish uh, um, self-interest, and is driven by something greater, a purpose, a higher purpose, a higher calling, a higher cause, otherwise known as relationship with God. So, as such, either we are following that relationship or we're following our own needs. As people say, everybody's worshiping something. You're either worshiping God or you're worshiping yourself. And, uh, and that's the choice we make. So, from a Jewish perspective, we are essentially a divine soul in a physical body. So, therefore, uh, as you, as uh, this is the title, this is a, uh, a line I always use, that though Freud did come and explain that he was a Jew and must have had an interesting Jewish mother, he did come and uncover what he called the id, which was a selfish drive of pleasure, the pleasure principle, which was about me, me, me. And then there's an ego and a superego superimposed that allows us to coexist, that the Judaism, in essence, really goes deeper than that. Yes, we do have a selfish side to us. It's called the Yetzirah. You mentioned it, the evil inclination. But we have a deeper part within us, which is called the divine soul. It's called the good inclination, the Yetzirah, the divine image. So we have a battle, in effect, going on in our lives. Who's going to uh, prevail? There's an entire book called the Tanya, by Rabbi Shneir Zaman of Liadi, where he explains this battle. There's a battle that's 24-7, Every time you make a choice, is it going to be me or is it going to be the other? Is it going to be selfish or is it going to be selfless? Sometimes it's a combination. And But ultimately, Jewish belief is that we are fundamentally good people. The universe is a good place, but it's become covered up by human misbehavior. Um, and you know, dissonance we're speaking about. When you describe it, it's so clear, Rabbi. And I think that when we're out in... Our daily lives, we're, we're intersecting with secular society. We're intersecting with lots of non-Jewish beliefs. It's very easy. I love what you said earlier, Amy, that, that dictum that, like, you know, if the, the Gentiles do it, we tend to copy. And it's very, it's, it's, it's dangerous. It's a slippery slope to kind of fall into a different type of relationship um, with, with sin and absolution. And I would imagine, Amy, that some of your readers, because you have readers of moments and, and ask the rabbis across the spectrum from, I imagine, very secularized um, Jewish readers to folks that are uh, Haredi. And, and I would imagine that sometimes, because it comes up for me, and I guess if I had to designate, I'd probably call myself modern Orthodox, so I don't like those types of designations. But I imagine that some listeners um, do kind of question whether as Jews we need to be absolved of sin in the way that that Christians seem to be focused on that, and I was I was uh, before in pregame for the show. A guest has been on before, uh, Reverend David Taylor. He was kind enough to kind of give me the quick primer on on sin from uh, uh, in the Christian faith, both Protestantism and, and Catholicism. And I won't go into that for at the, the very best because I'll probably screw it up. But one thing that stuck with me is is the the centrality of of the study of sin and the focus on sin and it's and it's 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 other uh, it's mirror image of absolution um, in Christianity. In fact, I learned that there was there's an entire school of philosophy in Christianity called harmontology or harmontiology, which is focused on the study of sin. <laughs> and I wonder, Amy, what what your guidance is or the the guidance of the rabbis that have been in your platform. To, to the, the, the Jewish reader who's saying, and, and even right now in this time of Yom Kippur, is like, how focused on individual sin should I be on this evil inclination, on these, on the disconnection, as, as Rabbi Jacobson said, or is it something that I should kind of, in general, can put out of mind? Okay, it happened, let it go, move on. 
Okay, so I have three. I'll give you three different versions versions of an answer to this. Um, none of them is a direct answer, but um, the closest I can come. I will. I'll first say that um, I think the way you found me was through a a an Ask the Rabbis uh, question, which was something like, "Do Jews have a different sense of sin than other people?" Right. That's that's what you told me you had you had seen online which made you uh, call me up. And uh, when I looked back at that, the first um, answer was from, we have, a, we have one rabbi that we often use who doesn't consider himself any denomination. He calls himself an independent. His name is Gershon Winkler. And he has this thing called the Walking Stick Foundation. He, he knows he's very, very steeped in text, and he likes to take people on wilderness hikes. They look at the stars, and they talk about Jewish text. So he's very interesting. And so... When we asked him, do Jews have a different concept of sin than other people, his answer was, I'll read you the first two sentences, he said, absolutely, we love sin. Without it, we could not transform, improve, or ennoble ourselves. And then he goes on to quote, he says, um, in the Mishnah it says, no days were as festive in Israel as the Day of Atonement, because you had this fabulous opportunity to cleanse yourself and become better, and people would be, you know, in fear and trembling because they'd witness, at least they'd hear about the miracle, the, the red thread actually turned white, but then there'd be wild rejoicing, you know. So so in that sense, I mean, in, in that sense, you could say that there's a focus on sin, but in a very, and again, this guy's a little, he's pretty heterodox, um, uh, but, but that's... Uh, that's one. So that's that's one way of saying. Well, you know, it's if you can say people are focused on sin, but it doesn't mean what necessarily the uh, Christian idea of a focus on sin would be. I will. Um, here's here's another anecdote. I was listening a couple of months ago to a debate between uh, two people that I'm sure a lot of listeners have heard of: Yossi Klein Halevi, who is an Israeli, the author of a book called Letters to My Palestinian Neighbor. Um, you know, Yossi has a very, he, he, he's a senior fellow at the Hartman Institute. He, he, he's a very interesting theologian, um, and, you know, highly and, and very observant. He had a conversation with the New York Times Catholic and conservative columnist Ross Bufat. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that name right, but everyone knows who I mean. Um, and this was when the question was whether this idea of tikkun olam, I think, I think those of you have actually had this, this discussion on the show, but this question of whether uh, the concept of tikkun olam was somehow being twisted into a leftist thing. And, you know, both of these people, both Yossi and um, Ross, kind of tend right to, the, to the right politically. And so they were going back and forth. Well, you know, maybe just, you know, are, are activists of all stripes just using tikkun olam to repair the world as a synonym for anything they, anything they want to do that's woke, you know? So they went back and forth on this, and they both kind of, um, had some issues with, with some uses of tikkun olam. But at the end of it, Yossi Klein Halevi said to Ross that, look, you know, I'm a Jew, you're a Catholic. Um, if we're not here to repair the world, you know, Jews, we do feel we're here to repair the world. If we're not here to repair the world, what would you say we're here for? So Ross that pauses barely a beat, and then he says, well, if I had to put it in a nutshell, I would say we are here on Earth to suffer as much as possible so that we may become worthy of eternal life. And I was listening to that and I thought, gosh, I, that is, that, I just can't, I, I, I can't relate to that at all. It seemed like no. just so far from a Jewish idea that I just couldn't even get my brain around it. And so the next time I called one of the um, Orthodox rabbis that I, um, uh, that I ask, you know, for the for the ask the rabbis. Um, I asked um, one of the the Orthodox rabbi living in Israel, who often does does uh, contributions for ask the rabbis. And I said to him, "Look, uh, setting aside the the work part of this call, can I just ask you about this thing I heard that's been bothering me?" And I I told him this story, and he said, "Goodness gracious, that's the most un-Jewish thing I ever heard." So, you know, in that sense, I do think there's there's a, a real difference. It might just be a difference in emphasis, but yeah. it's very fundamentally, I just don't think Jews go in for that kind of thing. It's not in the yeah, philosophy. It's, it's not in the it's, psychology. It's really a, yeah. I, I, 
I appreciate that that story. It's really at the at the genesis of wanting to do the, the, this program because this time of year, uh, you find yourself you're talking to someone who's not Jewish, talk about the meaning of Yom Kippur, and you do talk a lot about about uh, going through your transgressions and and asking you know for forgiveness, and it's and it's it it it. it in a certain sense, creates resonance with someone who really does have a theological focus or centrality around around sin. But there's a key; there are really key differences, and that's and and Rabbi Jacobson, you've you've talked about uh, about some of that. We're going to take our uh, next break, but I, I do want to talk a little bit without you know touching any any third rails, a little bit about personal agency in absolution from sin as Jews, um, whereas it's, sometimes Christians kind of have a, a little bit of, <laughs> seems like a safety valve, but kind of, and I'm not making light of it, but there's this relationship uh, in in uh, in Christianity to the historical figure called Jesus that um, that is kind of like a fallback of this concept of, uh, you know, Jesus paid it all, which is a very different type of theology. So we're going to come back and talk about personal agency, how do how are we responsible uh, for overcoming or absolving uh, ourselves and others uh, from transgression from sin? We're here with Rabbi Simon Jacobson, Amy Schwartz. We're talking about the concept of sin and absolution in Jewish theology and Jewish thought. We'll be right back. Footing with Dove Tuzman is sponsored by MDCS Dermatology, your experts in skincare. With two Manhattan locations and four offices in Long Island, including Plainview and Comac, the dermatologists and skincare surgeons at MDCS are proud to be affiliated with the Albert Einstein College of Medicine and New York Presbyterian Hospital. So schedule your next skin exam in one of MDCS's convenient New York area locations. To make an appointment, go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-DERM. That's 212-661-3376. You can even schedule a virtual video visit with MDCS's board-certified dermatologists from the comfort and safety of your own home. So go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-3376. And don't forget to mention Equal Footing for 15% off all cosmetic procedures. You're back on Equal Footing. I'm Doe Tuzman. I'm here with Rabbi Simon Jacobson and Amy Schwartz. We're talking about sin through the prism, the unique prism of Jewish theology. Thank you to a listener who uh, got the exact quote for me in, in uh, Christian theology. It is, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Uh, attributed to various uh, authors and Christian thinkers over time. But the point here... Rabbi Jacobson, is that there is a sense, and in certain sense, sorry to say this so crassly, I feel a little bit of a pang of jealousy <laughs> to my my Christian friends who have this, like, I, there's an idea there, theologically, perhaps more central in Protestantism than in Catholicism, but that that there's this, that, that their Messiah figure uh, had paid for their sins and did a lot of that work for them. I think in, in Judaism, we we don't have that unless I'm very wrong. Um, it, we have it, the the agency is really with us, no, to deal with our sins. Well, I feel sad for you that you're jealous, um, because uh, remember, Jesus was uh, what would be called today an Orthodox rabbi. Um, so. Without getting into the details why they chose a Jew to absolve them of their sins, I will say this. We don't have that luxury because we have a direct relationship with God. And actually, I see it as a vote of confidence uh, in us that we can make mistakes. We can make bad mistakes, and we have the ability to atone. You know why? Because we have a soul. So I will say to you, though, you should be very proud of the fact that you have a soul, a divine soul, 
and as, and as far as one may wander from it, you always have hope. That's the whole point of Yom Kippur. I mean, Yom Kippur is the greatest day of the year because it's the birth of hope. It is the birth of forgiveness. It is the, the birth of possibilities that no matter what happens, the Jewish people betrayed God. They built a golden calf, and Moses went up on the mountain and begged for forgiveness, and he prevailed. Right after Kol Nidre, on the night of Yom Kippur, on that most solemn night, we will say the words that God said when he forgave the people. He said to Moses, Salachti kidvarecha. I have forgiven them as you have spoken. A man stood up to God and would not take no for an answer. That was Moses. Maybe the greatest feat in history. Because it's one thing is to be perfect. We're not perfect. But to be able to find salvation and the ability to return, and I use again the emphasis, Chuba bin's return, return to the real you. So there is no concept of original sin. There's no concept of a devil or evil that's stronger than good. Yes, evil is the absence of good and can conceal. But concealing is not like removing. The goodness within the human being, and I say this to every one of the 8 billion people on this earth that may be possibly listening to your show and program, every one of you has a divine soul within you, which means you have the capacity, no matter where you are in life, to return to that to yourself. And when we, when you want to use the word sin, when we transgress, we betray ourselves and our destiny and our calling and our relationship with God. And it's in your, for your benefit. It's not, we're not doing this for God. We're doing it for us. Is to connect and reconnect because you will be the best you can be when you access that divine soul within you. That's quintessential Jewish thought. I, I don't think this is a place to do comparative studies right now, but that's really the essence. If I may share, since we're talking anecdotes, I'll share one beautiful Baal Shem Tov story, very short. He went into a synagogue on Yom Kippur, and he hears the chazan, the cantor, leading the service, and he's singing a very uh, upbeat, joyous melody. Now, Yom Kippur is a serious day. So the Baal Shem Tov was thinking, what is he saying? You know, there are parts of the Yom Kippur prayer that are very beautiful and talk about the, the high priest coming out of the Holy of Holies. And he notices then that the cantor, to his surprise, is actually chanting the Alchet. That's the confession on one's sins. And they're not pleasant sins. Some of them are quite, uh, quite atrocious. And he went, goes over to the cantor after the prayer and says, you, you prayed beautifully, but why were you singing such a upbeat um, Simchas Torah song, such a joyous melody, when you were speaking about our sins? So he says, what do you mean, Baal Shem Tov? Everyone has their role in the king's palace. This one delivers the mail. This one collects the taxes. This one passes laws. My job is to clean up the palace. I'm the janitor. I take a broom and I clean up the dust. What greater honor is there to clean up the dust? So when we say mm. we sin, what we're doing is we're cleaning up our lives and being accountable to our relationship with something greater than us. And that's nothing more yeah. joyous than cleaning a palace. That's, that's beautiful. That's a beautiful anecdote. And actually relates to the next question uh, that was actually about the al And I think that this, this kind of confessional uh, that, that we do on Yom Kippur, Amy, I imagine has been the subject over, year, over the years of, of questions. So it's so different than anything we do the rest of the year in our davening as Jews. And I'm wondering specifically about who we're asking forgiveness from. Because there's the Leviticus, uh, six, I think it's 1630, uh, uh, statement that for it is on this day of that atonement, Yom Kippur shall be made for you to cleanse you. You will be clean from all your sins before Hashem. And on Al Hecht, what, what are we, when we're doing Al Hecht, are we, are we, who are we asking forgiveness for? Is it, is it, is it from, is it just from God or is it also from those we've transgressed against our, our peers, our fellow people? So one of the, well, it's a very, it's a very good question. I think it's not so much are we doing one or the other as 
which do we do first and then which do we proceed to after doing the first. One of the most interesting things that everyone points out, you know, any rabbi you ask about the Alchet is that it is in the plural. You say, we have done this, we have done that. You know, each person individually may beat their breath, but it is um, one of the, the best feelings about the whole experience is that you're doing it, you know, the whole community is asking forgiveness together. So plainly, you're not only responsible for yourself. And, you know, it's in a lot of ways, I think that is emotionally uh, a support. You, you know, maybe one's guilty of one thing and one's guilty of another thing, and we'll all somehow carry each other through this together. But, I, I mean, I always, um, my, my understanding of this is that the first thing you do is you uh, go to the person you've wronged, and if they haven't forgiven you, then you've no business standing in synagogue and, and praying the Alkate because you're not ready, because um, you've, you've, uh, you're, you're asking the wrong person. Um, there's, a, there's a famous story I know we talked about in the pregame. It'll be familiar, I think, to many readers, and um, it, it came up in an Ask the Rabbis when we asked, um, are there things that can't be forgiven? And we asked this question in 2018, I think it was, it was at the peak of the cancel culture storm where people were being thrown out of jobs for the smallest tweet and things like that. And we wanted to know how people felt about, um, you know, are there other things that are so bad that there's no atoning for them? And, um, essentially, we, um, you know, one of the, one of the things that um, uh, one of the rabbis brought up, not surprisingly, was uh, when you talk about the unforgivable, you always end up talking about Nazis. And there's a very famous story in it's it's, it's in a book called The Sunflower, told by um, Elie Wiesel, and I don't remember if he tells it about himself or the, if he heard it from someone. He was a, a, a this, this, the, the, the narrator is a hospital orderly, and he was called into a room where a Nazi general lay dying, and the Nazi was uh, repenting, and he wanted a Jew. He wanted to confess to a Jew, and he wanted to be forgiven before he died for the terrible mm-hmm. things he had and doing and he was in he was genuinely uh remorseful and he wanted this inmate to forgive him on behalf of all the jews so he could die in peace and Wiesel says he felt a pull to do it but he knew he must not he had no standing to forgive this man and so he turned and he left the room and he let him die alone um and you know this is a very interesting gripping, challenging story, and it was issued in a volume in which a lot of thinkers of different religions responded to it, and a lot of them, you know, also particularly some of the, the non-Jewish theologians had a lot of trouble with it, but um, I think the Jewish frame of mind, most Jews and most rabbis would say, of course, you know, it wasn't for him to forgive. You know, you can never forgive, you can't forgive a murder because the person, you can't make, you can't make teshuva. You can't undo what was done and the person can't forgive you. So, so there's that. And I think, I think that is part of, again, I think it's connected in some way to this idea that the community is all together and is praying when the, when the, when the community, when, when you're ready to speak to God for forgiveness, it's sort of the last stage of the process, and you're you're all together in this. But you've done your individual work, the, you know, like the rabbi's beautiful story, cleaning up. You've done all you you properly speaking. You should have done all that work in the in the ten in the days. I you know, you should be spending your ten days going around and, and apologizing to people. I used to write people letters, um, apologizing and explaining that this was you know this was my practice for many years, and I I can't always bring myself to do it because it's very difficult, but when you do that, people never forget it. You know, years later, yeah. they'll say, wow, you yeah. know, I can't believe you wrote me this I, letter. I love this. I love that practice, Amy. I love you brought up this topic because we've had, I had this question coming into the show. I feel like I have it every year, and we've had several listeners that have written in on this concept. And I turn to you, Rabbi, to, right here before we go to our last break, to help us un- unravel this problem which is basically that issue of standing, that in, in Jewish, uh, halachically and, 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 and in Jewish philosophy, we, uh, the transgression against the other person is worse 
than the transgression against Hashem. And we, the, you know, Hashem doesn't have the standing to, to forgive on behalf of the person. You have to ask for forgiveness from the person. And the question then is, Rabbi, and we've had one listener ask this very pointedly, what happens when someone f- refuses to give you forgiveness? What do you, what do you do then in the relation to sin and the relation to, to, to uh, being absolved of that sin in front of Hashem? Okay. So, so a good segue from what uh, you've been just discussing, Amy and yourself, though, um, I believe, uh, that forgiving also, I want to add one more point. Forgiving, you can forgive someone that transgressed against you. But uh, the reason in the sunflower story that he could not forgive, because not only was it not his role to do so, how could he forgive for someone else? That person, that Nazi, has to go to the six million Jews or to the Jews that he perpetrated against and get their forgiveness. It's not like some collective uh, thing that you go to one person not representing the entire community. Sin is an individual thing. But to go to your question, it's interesting. The word for forgiveness in Hebrew is mechila, machal. Mechila also means circle. When you uh, hurt somebody, you essentially have broken a circle of connection between you and that person. And when you ask for forgiveness, you're trying to repair the circle. But it's interesting, in the laws of Judaism, forgiveness is incumbent on two people. The person who's transgressed, who's hurt you, is uh, responsible to ask for forgiveness. And if you don't, and if you, and they don't gain it, they have to come back again and again. And the person who was hurt has actually an obligation to forgive. But there are two conditions, and that is that if you forgive someone and it will hurt you in return, either because you're still not healed and the forgiveness will continue like the abuse, or, or other reasons that are similar, you don't necessarily have to forgive because your life comes first. But that concept of forgiveness is really completing the circle. So if someone has transgressed and asked for forgiveness, um, look, we have to also assume that the forgiveness is sincere. There are a lot of people that will say, oh, you know what, every um, every year you hurt me, and then you call me before you Kippur to ask for forgiveness. Don't hurt me next year, and don't call me for forgiveness, you know? So it's, it becomes like lip service. So that's something that needs to be determined sincerity and so on, as it's just being done uh, on a surface level. But let's assume there was a sincere request for forgiveness, and for whatever reason, the person you've hurt is refusing. Look, you can't control their life. You can only do what you have to do. Um, it's true that you, that God will not forgive someone that uh, we're talking about a sin between one human being and another. What you do between God, you can then repair with God. But to um, repair, say before God, hey, let's, let's mend our relationship. God will say, first mend the relationship with the person you've hurt. And if indeed they're not ready to forgive, it may mean that you need to work harder. And that's also a lesson in life. Um, so I think it's two separate and things. And it's, it's such a core uh, humanist ideal within within the Jewish faith that's complex, but but beautiful that you've you've got yeah, to remember, make just, just one more with, thing. Remember, forgiving is an act of transcendence, and the, and the request for forgiveness is an act of transcendence. That both people, the one who's hurt and the one who has been hurt, have to get beyond the hurt. They have to be ready to be accountable are ready to say, yes, I made a mistake. And the person who's been hurt has to be ready to get beyond their pain. Remember, some people just hold on to their pain. It's hard for them to... Re- and I'm not judging them. I'm just saying that's, that's why forgiveness, real forgiveness, is a real uh, work. It's not a simple matter. It's a, a real deep soul-searching and introspection. Rabbi, thank you. We're going to take our last uh, break here. We're going to come back. We've got some really interesting listener questions on this. Our relationship as Jews with sin, the opposite, forgiveness or absolution. We'll be right back with Rabbi Simon Jacobson and Amy Schwartz. You know, one of the things we do on Equal Footing is try to address difficult topics with an open mind, with sensitivity, with civility. One of these very sensitive topics that can come up 
in the home, in real life, is erectile dysfunction. It's not something to be embarrassed about. It's not something to shy away from. It can affect not only physical well-being, but mental health as well. It's critical to get help. There is a resource out there to give you comprehensive help. It's called Manhattan Medical Associates. Manhattan Medical has been doing this for a long time. They have a very effective therapy that does not involve those expensive blue pills, which are not available to many people due to comorbidities. It's called Gaines Wave. The Gaines Wave therapy for erectile dysfunction at Manhattan Medical has been around and used in Europe for a long time, in Canada, in recent years approved in the United States. Give a call. Find out. 888-332-8739. That's 888-ED-CURE-9. Again, in numbers, 888-332-8739 for Manhattan Medical's ED treatment, Gaines Wave Therapy. It has no side effects. It's painless. There's no surgery. And it, it, for most patients, it gives wonderful and enduring results. You do not have to be in Manhattan or the New York area. Anywhere in the United States, you can get a teleconsult with Manhattan Medical for their erectile dysfunction treatment and cure program. And if you mention that you heard about it on equal footing, you do get a free consult. You have to say that you heard about Manhattan Medical's Gains Wave Therapy on the Equal Footing Radio Program, and you get a $250 value free initial consult. Once more, the number for Manhattan Medical, 888-332-8739. I've been caught. All right, we're back on equal footing. Last segment, we want to do some rapid-fire questions here because we're going to run out of time on this topic of this complicated topic of sin and absolution. So uh, one listener writes, Rabbi, this is, I think this question directed to you. We've got the next one for you, Andy. Is that there must, sin must be central to our faith because the korbanot, the sacrifice of the temple before the destruction of the second temple, were so central to theology. Why do we have the korbanot if we shouldn't be focused on sin? Well, the answer is very straightforward. I didn't say don't be focused on sin. I said sin does not mean what you think it means. Sin means dissonance. And korbanot actually, interestingly, comes from the word kiruv, to get closer to. So you see all these terms that have become so laden with all the cliches of a Woody Allen film um, really have to just be translated differently. So dissonance, disconnection, carbon is an offering. And today we do a carbon, an offering through prayer, which is another form of connection. So we have to be focused on our relationship with God. That relationship, think of it like a garden and a gardener. To keep a garden healthy, you have to do things, two things. You have to make sure to cultivate, nourish, nurture, and plow the ground and water it. But you also have to weed the garden. Like I said earlier, clean up the palace. So the relationship is a twofold one, but the focus is always on the beautiful part, which is getting closer. And part of it is accountability. When you have a relationship with someone and you did something wrong, you need to be accountable. That's really the concept of tshuva, the concept of carbon, of offerings. That's the concept of Yom Kippur, forgiveness. It all comes down to one thing. It's just how you look at it. Unfortunately, many people see it as something which is so terrible that it causes them to tremble. You know how many people I meet that don't want to go to synagogue? They, for them, it's all about fear, punishment, guilt, um, punitiveness, and it just creates that very negative vibe. It's very, it's, it's sad. But that's why I was so much emphasizing how we have to reframe and retranslate these words. But it's still about accountability. We're not talking about being off right. the hook that everything. So you're not avoiding the accountability. You're just not focusing in the, not focusing in the negative, but focusing on the reconnection. If to put it very simply, uh, Dov, and I say to all the listeners, if the feelings that you have are demoralizing you, the guilt, and that's what sin is doing to you, there's something wrong. Because demoralization is also a sin. Right. It doesn't motivate you. If it's true remorse that motivates you to become better, to correct your ways, to amend, to make amends, to repent, to ask forgiveness, 
and it's motivating you to something good, you know it's coming from a healthy place. Remember, the Yeshahari can also control us through depressing us and through demoralizing us. Right. Amy, there's, there's been a couple of questions about the hierarchy of sins, and this is something very key in uh, Christian theology, the idea in Catholicism of cardinal sins and mortal sins and venial sins, etc. In, in Judaism, do we have a hierarchy of sins? What do the rabbis say about this? And if we do, if there's a hierarchy of sins, and some, some sins are worse than others, do we repent in different ways? It's a, well, it's a very, it's a very interesting question, and I went looking to see if any of the rabbis had addressed this in in this question of the con, the Jewish concept of sin. Um, so, um, a, a Rabbi David Zaslow, a renewal rabbi, um, says, you know, the word sin has such an ominous connotation, and like our Catholic friends who talk of venial versus mortal mortal sins. Judaism does describe different kinds of sin. There's an unintentional wrongdoing. You know, there are um, sins or mistakes arising from, you know, bad attitudes or things that you think, again, you know, there's the, the framework is this idea that you get, you get something wrong. The sin is not that you are yourself wrong, but that you do something wrong or get something wrong. So the unintentional wrongdoing maybe is not. Um, as serious a sin as something you did because you you were thinking the wrong thing and, you know, intentional transgression when you really don't care um, is is a bad sin, you know, and but sort of when you look at, well, what are the worst evils? When you ask the rabbis, what does absolute evil look like? They would usually, most of them say something like um, evil is expressed as a lack of empathy. And I think that connects up with, you know, in other words, if you don't care, about somebody else or some other creature and you, you're intentionally cruel, that's a very bad kind of, kind of a sin. Uh, but, and again, the, the, um, the way, the way the rabbi put it, I think is very, um, meaningful and helpful, which is that those things take you away from where you should be. You're missing the mark. You're just getting it wrong. It doesn't mean that you can't somehow um, come back, it might take more, I don't know, I would think myself just psychologically some things would take more work than others to come back from, but not because yeah. they are, um, not not because they're they're qualitatively different, but you know, worse sins. You know, what's what are the sins that can't be forgiven? The sins that are that the person is already dead and can't can't forgive you. Literally, you can't be forgiven. I want I wanted to say one other thing, and it's you mentioned, Dov, you you mentioned this idea of of standing, you know, standing to complain, and I was thinking about a um a funny framing that I saw. I teach a Psalms class, and sometimes just for fun, we look at we look at a lot of different re, uh, responses to Psalms, including from non-Jews. And there's a book by the Christian theologian C.S. Lewis, you know, best known for the Narnia books, but also well known as a theologian. And he wrote a book of reflections on the Psalms. And there's a line in there that I always liked. Some people actually find it a little bit offensive, but I don't. I don't think I. I offer it anyway on the theory that it's not really offensive because it, it hits home. Um, he says about all this, all this um, imagery of the judge, the judge who will stand in judgment, all this stuff about standing before the judge. Jews use it and Christians use it. What's the difference? He says, well, the Christian talking about God as a judge seems to see the heavenly court as a criminal court with himself in the dock. Whereas when you read the Jewish complaints to God in the Psalms as a judge, you get the feeling it's a civil court and the Jew the Jew is a plaintiff. Um, and, you, know, you know, also I I I I it's great. I I love what you were, you said before about indifference. I think it's a really important message maybe to even end on. You know, it reminds me of the George Bernard Shaw quote that the worst sin toward our fellow creatures is not to hate them, but to be indifferent to them. That that's the essence of inhumanity. And and you know, I think it, as long as we're talking this stuff through, right, asking for forgiveness, granting for forgiveness when we can, as Rabbi Jacobson said, when the when we're ready to heal, when we're ready to move beyond the pain, that's the key. We're out of time here, but Rabbi Simon Jacobson, Amy Schwartz, thank you so much for joining tonight. Um, and uh, I, I wish you both a, a very uh, happy and healthy year. And to you. Thank you. Thank you. Last year to you and all. Feel a sin coming on. I feel a rock that's about to go wrong. I 